JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline covers the Pacers. Pacers second of a back-to-back in Orlando coming up later on tonight. And a come-from-behind win over the Bulls to snap a seven-game losing skid last night at Cambridge Fieldhouse. Tony East, a variety of places, he joins us now, again, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I kind of flipped this question around because – most often, when somebody asks regarding Miles Turner and his future here, it's in terms of, all right, do the the Pacers want to pay him? Does he fit? Can you get assets, or what can you get draft capital wise from him? Uh, it normally is always that. What's the price tag going to be? But I flipped this around earlier, and I think if you look around in the NBA landscape right now, if you're Miles Turner, is there a better place? and a better teammate to play with right now in terms of upping your game, maintaining where you are, and maybe even raising the bar of your production than playing alongside Tyrese Halliburton for the not-so-distant future. Is they is there a better spot for Miles in the NBA than right here? Yeah, no, that's a great question, right? And date back to last summer, right, the reason that all these Turner conversations have started and the Pacer situation is what it is is, they signed, or they all tried to sign DeAndre Ayton, and now it's come out that Halbert was a part of that pitch, right? Because both his allure as a player and his abilities are great for his teammates. And you've seen that with him out in terms of not even just Turner, who was awesome last night, as well as in Milwaukee with 30 points, but hasn't been like that the whole time recently. Like Buddy Heald's had up and down games without Tyrese. Aaron Neesmith is really struggling, right? A lot of guys play better with him, so to tie it back to Miles, I mean, it's the best passing point guard he's had as a teammate. It's the best guy at getting you the ball on time in the right spots he's ever had as a teammate in terms of an offensive fit especially now that he's the lone center he's you know diving into the paint more he's not exclusively almost beyond the three-point line it's hard to think of a better situation in terms of offensive fit than what he's got right now a system that works really well for him his speed his athleticism i mean the, the team is really well constructed if he if he likes the system for him to, to stay and continue to put up good numbers. Tony East on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I I think of it this way as well in in terms of just if you look around where you have number one options that occupy the basketball around the NBA as much as Tyrese Halliburton does the Pacers, you're not going to find a more willing distributor than he is going to be that, again, occupies the basketball as much as he does. Right, Clint Capella, to, for another example of a center, like part of his skill and allure with Houston for so long was that he was really good at playing with James Harden, who when James Harden was leading the league in assists per game, Capella was a great fit with him, and Clint stayed there for a long time. And eventually, when the Rockets moved Harden, now Clint Capella is with Trey Young, another great passer who's making Clint Capella look awesome and put up huge numbers and get giant contracts for being a really good you know, defensive big man. Like Turner's better than Capella at a lot of perimeter things and – protecting the rim and all sorts of stuff like that. But for a player like that, who's really good at screen and roll stuff and can make plays in the paint, like Rick Carlisle was telling us last night, they designed some new actions to get turn of the ball in a post in certain ways. They bust him out in the third quarter and Miles is a 16-point quarter, right? Like, he's able to do stuff like that still to this day. Having a teammate like Halliburton who leads the league in assists still to this day you know, is so valuable and crucial for him. How impressed were you last night? Because this team didn't look like it had much. And you mentioned Miles. Miles' third quarter – Matherin fourth quarter obviously was huge but without the miles third quarter they would not have been in striking distance to really give the opportunity to win or Matherin the opportunity to do what he did in that fourth quarter given the fact that that was the first night of a back-to-back situation 
Yeah, I did not expect that from them in the second half either, right? When they got down by 20 in, in the second quarter, I was sitting next to Dustin Dopierak from the Indy Star, and I thought, you know, they're done, right? It's over. They don't they, – they, you know, it's so easy for them. They've lost seven in a row. They played tomorrow night to just roll over and say, you know what, we fly out of here at, you know, whatever, later tonight. Let's pack it up. We're done. We have no chance. The Bulls are kicking our butts. But to their credit, they, you know, said, okay, the Bulls played last night. You know, they're going to run out of gas and – you know, we, we can do this. You know, that they, they did some stuff that was working in the first half, and Miles was the impetus in the third quarter, right? He was the guy that did everything for them in that frame. Again, 16 of his 26 in that quarter alone. And Punk Vucevic on the other end, too, did my favorite move on defense in the NBA, pulled the chair, made him fall over, and then dunked it on the other end. I right. love that sequence. Uh, yeah, fun, yeah. Fun, huge moments like that. And you're right, like, you know, Matherin was amazing in the fourth quarter, six for seven. I think he had 15 points in that quarter. But they don't even get there if they don't have – the third quarter comeback to bring it back from 21 to I think it was seven at the end of that quarter. They needed everything they got in that frame and to not give up in the situation they were in is, is impressive, especially in a long, grueling regular season. It, it, Tony East against on the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon. We're waiting around to find out with the Colts exactly the direction they're going to go in, paring down the field of those they're going to interview as their next head coach and kind of guess um, who that ultimately is going to be. Speaking of timetables, I know you got a trade deadline that's coming up and all that. What do you think your timetable is on the Pacers and any sort of Miles Turner decision to be made? Look, I think they have to make their timeline be the trade deadline, right? Because like I've, I think I've talked about you with this a little bit, but you know, with Turner, the, the ball's out of the Pacers' hands on February 10th, right? Right now, they can still trade, and they still have some power to make team-building decisions, to make their team better, all sorts of stuff that's important for a front office. On February 10th, if he's still on the team, they can still extend him. It's not, it's not like, scary yet, but, they, you know, Turner gets to decide. He puts the pen to the paper on the contract in the end. Like, it's not in the Pacers' hands anymore to decide how that situation goes, even if they can convince him to sign a deal that they like or something like that. Like, all of a sudden – they lose a lot of power. So I think that their deadline to figure this all out, figure out their next team-building steps is, you know, in two weeks. Say the, the, tra- the trade deadline's two weeks away. They've got to figure it out by or around then what the situation is because that's kind of the last domino with this team, right? They have every other player on the team. There's two other guys on expiring contracts, Goga Batadze and O'Shea Brissett. We're both good, but it's not the end of the world if you lose them this summer. Everybody else is under contract or is a restricted free agent this summer that they could keep if they wanted, right? So it's like if they sort out the Turner stuff, they can – you know, ride out their season, figure out what they need in the summer and make it happen. But that's the one thing that they have to figure out. And, you know, even though the extension deadline is, is after the trade deadline, just given that the power becomes out of their hands, it seems like they have to make the decision prior to February 9th. I think we all thought that at the start of the season, there was a foregone conclusion of what was going to happen with Miles. And then we wondered with the way this team, you know, basically up until that seven game losing string and the injury to Halliburton, how it was going. Uh, we believe that maybe the Pacer brass had rethought their stance regarding Miles. Do you think that's the case, or do you think they've been basically hardcore on one decision for their future all along here? No, I think they're, you know, Kevin Pritchard's favorite word or one of his favorite words is uh, optionality, right? He loves to have lots of choices on what he can do with his team, whether that's having cap space to do lots of things, or that's having a ton of draft picks to make numerous trades, whatever, whatever that means to him, you know, there, there's a million things that it, it's involved with, but you know, for, for a smaller market team in the early stages of a, whatever you want to call it, rebuild, retooling, having a lot of options to do numerous things is very valuable to them because they can kind of make decisions and change their circumstance as time progresses, as their season progresses. And you've seen why that's valuable as the season has played out, right? Had they really committed to, you know, one group of young players already or, one strategy for team building had they started this way they might have backed themselves into a little more of a corner but they have choices on how they can approach this deadline still and for miles specifically because they have more than one option because their season started well they are able to pivot from saying oh you know it seems obvious what we need to do here to oh you know we, we can consider both ways of this so i think that their start definitely changed their tune to some extent but that said they also just you know lost seven in a row and are ninth in the east right now whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tony, knowing that I'm sure Miles and his representation probably have a different figure in mind altogether, do you have, which would be, try, try to give us, in your opinion, the perfect extension number or figure 
that yeah, would really benef- benefit this team in extending miles in this case? Yeah, it's a tricky balance to find, right? Because it has to be a number the Pacers think is fair and appropriate, and the Turner thinks is fair and appropriate, and is enough that Miles won't be able to get it as an unrestricted free agent this summer because if he thinks he could get it this summer, why would he sign it now? And he could see what teams are offering it to him when he's an unrestricted free agent for the first time. So there are so many factors at play that make it really hard, right? And if you're Turner, right, you saw the Pacers pony up whatever it was, 130-ish million for DeAndre Ayton this summer, right? You've had a great season with the Pacers. Why would you not make your starting point that number? And I, you know, the Pacers would balk at that. You know, he's not a former number one pick, and there's potential involved in that, all that sort of stuff, but. You know, the starting point's probably high from his side just because of all the factors at play and the fact that he would want more money to, to not enter free agency this summer. So it's hard to find the exact amount because the Pacers, you know, they, they do have a unique situation where they're able to pay him more and sacrifice very little with that renegotiation this season. But after that, it could be a normal deal. So I would say like four years or three years with like, you know, 24, 25 million per season, like four for a hundred is always what stood out in my head as, you know, that might be able to keep him out of free agency. But that said, with the deal like that, you know, that's your team. Now you've committed to this kind of core. And, you know, maybe he could get that this summer with the cap about to go up again. That $25 million is not going to look like much by the end of that deal. So, you know, maybe there is a middle ground that's a little higher than that. And some of that $100 million could come as a renegotiation in this season. So it wouldn't be like a per-year cap hit that's really crippling. So that's the number that's always stood out in my head. But it also seems like if you're Turner – just given the unique situation the Pacers are in, you'd ask for more than that. So Tony East covers the Pacers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Lakers made a move earlier this week with Hachimura in mind, and probably still Rob Palenka has a, another move still at hand. Where do you think these tradable options might be? Because I will tell you this, it doesn't to me seem like there are as many robust, intriguing miles here or there trade rumors floating around as we may have seen a month and a half or so ago. Yeah, the, the unique thing about Miles this season in terms of trades is all the re- teams with reported interest in the past, or even way more recently this season, you know, your Charlottes, your Lakers, your Raptors, your Knicks, they're all either having a, a bad season and may not be willing to look for upgrades, right, in terms of the Hornets. like There's no way they would want to be ponying up and giving away assets at this stage. The Raptors are having it down here. The Lakers could, in theory. They're, they're playing much better recently, but same kind of deal. And then the other ones, like the Knicks, you know, they, they have a new center, Mitchell Robinson, or you know, the Pelicans have Jonas Valanciunas. Like the, the, the common suitors from the past, the situation that their season has put them in, makes it seem a little less likely that they have as heavy of interest in Turner as the past. And I think that maybe is why you haven't heard of as many teams, because with the, with the extension you know, hanging over the Pacers' head, we can use his leverage and other team situations making it not as promising of an option. It's, it's, it's not a thing that teams – maybe are exploring as heavily as they have in the past. Now, I mean, that could change, you know, if the teams figure out whatever the Pacers situation is with his contract or he does become available or something like that, uh, more available. I don't know what the perfect phrase to use here is. But, you know, if things change, perhaps you, you can hear more on that front. But I think it has to do more with the teams that have had interest in the past than anything that's gone on with his play or the Pacers. Is there a problem with you that Matherin doesn't start? No. <laughs> no, I get why that – like people would think that it makes sense for him. To do you want to tell people one. to shut up about that as much as I do? <laughs> yeah, look, like there, look, it's a totally valid thought to think that any team should just start its five best players, right? Like you know, it's not easy to argue that that makes the most sense. But in, you know, the numbers say, like even on this losing streak, when he started, he wasn't playing as well. The second he went to the bench, nineteen points, twenty three points, twenty six points in three games. And the big thing is he just doesn't fit that well, the numbers say, with Buddy Heald when Tyrese doesn't play. When Halberton plays, they, they do fine together. But the, that pairing with, with Tyrese out does not go very well. And his numbers off the bench are better than as a starter all season. I get that, you know, from a long-term approach, you want to play Matherin and Halberton together as much as possible. I think the Pacers have still tried to do that. But he's had most of his success off the bench this season just given the way that the Pacers team is constructed. It makes a lot of sense for it to keep going that way. And, you know, their last four games now, I think, five, he's, uh, no, he did not know KC. So their last four games, he's closed the game, right? But it doesn't matter that if you're starting or not, I think closing is the one that's more important, right? They've noticed that he's done well in those situations. He was awesome in the clutch uh, last night against the Bulls, as we mentioned earlier. So, I mean, yeah, is there merit to it? Sure. I mean, he's a really good young player, and you know, him and Halliburton are the future of the franchise. But right now, he's playing better with the second unit. He's still getting a ton of t- chances to develop, right? He led them in minutes, I think, three times on their road trip, and 
you know, he's still playing a lot. He's still in situations to succeed. I don't see the rush to do it outside of getting him more opportunities with Halliburton, who's not available right now, right? So especially right now, I think what they've got makes the most sense. Ben Carroll v. Matherin, that's going to be an interesting watch coming up later on tonight at many points in this game. I think it's going to be awesome, right? I mean, if you remember when the Pacers beat the Pistons earlier in the season and Matherin had a big game, I think it was Seth Johnson asked him, hey, like, you know, play against the guy drafted in front of you. You know, what, what's that like for you? He said, oh, I remember everybody, you know, picked in front of me. He wants to beat him, right? And this is his first game against Boncaro, who missed the two when the Magic were in town earlier this season. And, like, he's one of the, he's having one of the best scoring seasons by a rookie, like, ever. It, you know, it's, it's very undercovered to me as a story this year. Like, he did almost 21 points per game for that Magic team. He's been really good. But Matherin's played more than him and has played in more significant, like, situations than he has. You know, I'll be curious where, where, where the, what this means for him in terms of going against someone drafted in front of him and someone who's right in front of him in, like, the key awards race, right? It's those two guys, top two for Rookie of the Year, certainly, and they both had wonderful seasons. So I, I think it'll be fun. I think that it'll mean a little more to Matherin than Boncaro just because of how the season has gone for both of them. Like, if you're the number one pick, it's harder to have those external motivators about the draft compared to the guy who's picked sixth. So I think Matherin might have a little more external motivation in this game. He looked really good against the Bulls last night and was really into the game for a lot of the game, right? Had some motivations in that game. I don't know if it's because of this, but he was going against a college teammate, Dalen Terry, last night. Now he's got an external motivator in Biden Carroll. I think he's going to going to play really hard and have a fun game tonight. They have wins. OKC, Golden State, Portland, New Orleans in Boston over the span of this past month. Uh, can we assume last time the Pacers saw him not as good, this team in Orlando is certainly playing a little bit better than they did? Yeah, they are. They have like a top 10 or 8 record or something in the league since early December. They're, they're quietly a lot better now that they're healthy, and they're just a, a gunky kind of team, right? They have a ton of size at every position, and hard to play against that's what makes the bucks really good too although they have superstar talent also so now that the magic kind of figured out what they want their identity and style to be they're a tough out they're not an easy opponent like they were early you know i think they had five wins until december 6th like they were one of the worst teams in the league when the pacers got them earlier in the year now they're at least decent and uh, you know you have to pay attention to your team defensive principles and things like that because they can make stuff happen so i think the pacers do actually match up pretty well with orlando i think tj mcconnell is set up well to have a good game against you know, a young team that's not particularly good at team defense. But the Magic size is really overwhelming, right? Someone's going to be guarding someone way taller than them basically every second of this game for the Pacers. So that's that's going to be tricky. They're going to, they're going to play really good uh, one-on-one defense all night to win it. Terrence Ross is still on that Orlando team, right? <laughs> yeah. you, do, do you have yeah, nightmares dude. like I do? It seems like every time in the past, we're talking longer-term past, he's putting up 20-plus, scoring at will against the Pacers. Yes, I wrote a whole story about this. He averages more points per game against the Pacers than any other team by by a decent amount, too. And it, It's pretty impressive how much better he's done uh, against Indiana than other teams. And, yes, he is still on the Magic. He did not play as well when they were here earlier this season. I have no idea why the Magic have decided to keep him around for all this time. He doesn't even play that much for them anymore. But if he does play, you know it's coming, right? At least you know a ridiculous shot or two in the first quarter that – gets him feeling hot and motivated, and then he hits every shot he takes for the rest of the game. It's just how he goes. I think he has more 30-point games against the Pacers than every other team in the East combined or something like that. It, it's crazy. So, what Did you, in, in, in compiling the data for this particular story, who was second to Terrence Ross? Uh, I think it was, oh, two Terrence Ross against the Pacers. That's a good question. I was mostly looking at his stats against other teams because he's been really good against Atlanta as well. I, I, you know, there's a couple of notorious Pacers killers through the years. Like, Mikael Bridges didn't do it this year, but he's one that's always done really well against the Pacers. Harrison Barnes, too, has always been one of those guys that he's good. You know, he, he could put up, you know, 18, 20 a game, but it always felt like when he would play the Pacers, he'd have, you know, 30 points, 35 points, one of his best games of the season. So there are a couple of them uh, that, that fit that bill of, of Pacers killer, but I don't think any are. You know, you know, Harrison Barnes going from 20 points to 28 is something, but Terrence Ross going from 12 to 30 is, <laughs> is a whole other category. Well, and 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 again, this is you know, with Orlando. This is with Toronto. This is with a, a completely different altogether Pacers lineup. At least with Harrison Barnes, you would get that twice a year, and that's it. It seems like it's rapid fire of Terrence Ross in the past. Yeah, in the playoffs, that that one year he was pretty good too, and the Pacers took the Raptors to seven games, right? I'm pretty sure he was uh, on that team at that time, but yeah, it's just his whole career. He's been he's been this kind of microwave score kind of guy, and something about maybe it's Gambridge Fieldhouse, right? Because 
it had it had the opposite effect on Doug McDermott, where Doug McDermott could only shoot in away gyms and never at home. Maybe Terrence Ross's guy, the Cambridge Fieldhouse, is just <laughs> where he feels comfortable. The backdrop's perfect. You know, he just can't miss. Man, you're right about McDermott too. No, it just <laughs> it occurred to me with Terrence Ross, and I, I, I did. You may have mentioned that story you wrote about him before, but I, I didn't remember it. And the thing I do remember is him giving the Pacers consistently game in and game out the business. <laughs> it was mind numbing. It really was. It's Tony East right there covers the Pacers. Si Pacers Forbes Sports at WTHR. You can find it on Twitter as well. Locked on Pacers and more. Tony East. With us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We shall check in with you. And by the way, you got some afternoon hoop, right, with the Mad Ants? That's right. They played earlier today. Their two-way player, Kendall Brown's back. Ton of ex-Pacers was playing today, so it was a good time uh, in Gamebridge. Avoiding the snow in the warm stadium. Nice. All right, Tony, I appreciate that. Have a great rest of the week. Of course. Thanks for having me again. Tony East on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You guys remember Terrence Ross? Drove me nuts. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings. I love Tucker Barnhart, by the way, but I cannot do Go Cubs Go. It has to be something else. Whenever the Cubs catcher comes on this show for the foreseeable future. By the way, Kevin Bowen again joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You agree? Uh, yeah, and honestly, when you started playing that, I thought it was Go Cubs Go. Um, but then I was quickly reminded of what our Reds are going to try and attempt this year. More wins for the Reds this year, John, or the Pacers? The, the Reds, the Reds are. I, I think the Reds have the opportunity to be an all-timer here. Don't you? Gosh, which is what? Is it? Is it something in the thirties? <laughs> you imagine somebody. Some, somebody had just asked me. Uh, okay, because I said, "Yeah, go Cubs, go sucks." Um, what's the red song? And I, I just off the top of my head, I said, "Well, how about I missed again by Phil Collins?" I think that would work. <laughs> I saw you posted the other day. I think you and I were in the same group text about the old Reds caravan tour. And when I clicked on those pictures and I thought, you know what? The person I would most want to see is Corky Miller. You know, it's a bad time to be a Reds fan. Can you believe how bad that is? I was like, oh, yeah. And they don't even make an attempt to come over. They don't make the attempt to come over anymore, Kev. You know? Yeah, what, where, what was that Batesville? Was that the farthest? Yeah, they were getting or the closest they're getting to us. Yeah, the only location in Indiana is Batesville, which is, I mean, hell, essentially that's Ohio anyway. Not really, but yeah. well, for the sake of my statement here, it is. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I mean, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be so painful to watch. It is. I don't even know if they're going to give us sometimes. And last year they didn't. Remember, they gave us one good game. You know that late start. Remember the game? It's that one good game, right? Was that uh, Atlanta? Is that where it was last year in Atlanta when they started? Well, you got to love when you play 162 and you're like, yeah, they gave us that one good game. Yeah, and it was Joey Votto was mic'd up. Yes. That was like the one good game. <laughs> they had one good game yeah. last year. That was it. Well, the highlights of the season was either Votto mic'd up or then when Votto went into the stands. Yeah. Remember in September when he went into the stands? And obviously when Castillo threw. Until he got traded, that was that was enjoyable. But man, it's a, it's a Louisville. It's not even a Louisville bats. What what's the double A team? Uh, uh, Dayton is is Dayton double A for them? They're single A. So is it Chattanooga double A? The Lookouts? Maybe that could be. Yeah, yeah. So that might be it right there. Did you go to the Pacer Bulls game last night? I did not. No, I was curious. But somebody had said, you know, obviously the the. The region Bulls fans show up down here to uh, to watch and play. I'm assuming they still do that because somebody had mentioned it smelled a great deal like body odor in there. So I'd thought maybe the region's Bulls fans were here. <laughs> well, I didn't see too many you know panned crowd shots on Bally. Usually the ketchup gets sprinkled in to that uh, to the lower bowl. But I, again, I don't even know if people want to watch the Bulls. It's kind of amazing the Bulls are this bad when you look at their talent. I mean, they're paying DeRozan, Levine. Vucevic, way too much money. He got lottery picks around them. 
but, you know, I, I, that thought, and Carlisle gave the crowd credit. You know, that third quarter there, it was teetering a bit. You could bail on them early if you wanted to. And honestly, Carlisle could have bailed on the game if he wanted to. You know, when you have the second night of the back-to-back, I think you're always kind of thinking as a coach, hey, you know, when do I pull the plug there? But, you know, Miles, your guy, and McConnell and Neesmith. I thought Terry Taylor gave him some decent minutes, even though I was a little confused why Taylor was playing over Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. But that, that, that third quarter, I thought they just kind of out-hustled Chicago. That got him back into it and obviously set up the fireworks in the fourth. I look at um, Levine. Just he was mistake ridden. That was that was odd um, down the stretch in that game. Certainly, and Demar Derozan is a really good individual NBA player. But team wise, he's consistently been like right there in the middle his entire career, hasn't he? Yeah, I'm trying to think of he was he was obviously out of Toronto right before yeah, they won the title, right? Um, and I don't, yeah, it just didn't seem like the San Antonio thing really worked out. I mean, it is kind of crazy in today's NBA that I mean, just the amount of tough mid-range shots he takes and makes, for that matter. I mean, analytics people have to be going crazy. And Levine, you just, you feel like you, there's some, I mean, there's some serious potential there. And hell, he's done it to Indiana before and late-game situations. And Vucevic has put up huge numbers. But, yeah, the combination of those three, they all kind of seem like guys that, you know, should be lead guys on whatever 30-win teams. And you combine them all, and you aren't getting much more than that. And I think you're just kind of waiting for Billy Donovan to be gone from there. Kevin Bowen, morning show. Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. weekday mornings right here on The Fans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I asked Tony East this earlier because oftentimes we kind of get caught up in, you know, talking about Miles in terms of should the Pacers extend him? You know, what will the Pacers pay him? Should they trade him? What are they going to get for him? You know, what's his market value? We always look at it in terms of the Pacers making the decision. But Let's flip this. What about Miles? And I look across the NBA landscape, and I guess it's because I watch this team and certainly focus on this team and him and personally these these individuals more than anybody else, Kev. But there's not a better place in the NBA that is more suited for his game to continue to evolve, right, and play well and be productive than playing with Halliburton here. I'm talking about a Miles decision. I'm not talking about a Pacers decision. If I'm Miles and I'm looking out, you could get more wins someplace else right now, no doubt. You could get more losses someplace else right now, no doubt. But there's no better place and no better player to be playing with moving forward for the benefit and production of his career individually than Halliburton and the Pacers. Would you agree? Yeah, I I mean, to be honest, I haven't given it a, a ton of thought, but you know, when you started saying that, I – I'm kind of nodding my head. Um, yeah, I mean, not only Halliburton, but I just think the makeup of the team in general, he's desperately needed on the defensive end of the floor. Um, you know, when you look at the the backups for him, I'd say honestly one of the most disappointing aspects to this season, and there haven't been many, has been just a lack of development from Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, Goga, whoever you want to throw into that group. Um, and then playing with Halliburton certainly helps um, and is – allowed him I think and you saw it even last night without Halliburton they really went to him you know pretty consistently there in that third third quarter so if you were just looking at individually Miles Turner for his own individual yes, self that's it yes um I I would think there'd be plenty of reasons to want to be here obviously the appeal of never being a free agent and uh, who knows maybe after I mean eight years in Indiana he just wants to see what else is out there. So it, it's just going to be such a fascinating, I think, two weeks to see how it all plays out and then what happens two weeks from Thursday. Um, but, again, credit to him last night because I thought, you know, w- when you see him score whatever he ended up with, 24-26, you know, for those that are watching the game, I mean, it was a lot of, like, paint points. It was – Yeah, he, know, he's stuff doing stuff. He's doing stuff that people around here have cried and whined about him doing for years. He's doing that. Yeah. And honestly, stuff that I was always thinking to myself, you know, is he ever going to have that? And, and, you know, I mean, is it going to be there on a consistent basis? You know, who knows? But last night, without him doing that stuff around the rim, and, you know, whether it was putbacks or actual moves, uh, those are things that, you know, we haven't seen from him. And, again, he can still be a totally effective player without that stuff. 
just by being more of a stretch five man and protecting the rim at the other end of the floor. But without him uh, in that third quarter, you don't get to the Benedict Matherin sort of plays down the stretch. Yeah, you just look at all the teams in the NBA, and it it is even more jarring if you look at the teams you think could absorb him either longer term or in the now and could afford to go ahead and lose him as a rental player. There's hardly anything there that I think is is more beneficial for him than how he has evolved as a player for the betterment of his individual games here. So you know so much of it, John, I just you know, what exactly was his thought process and switching agencies? I mean typically when you do that um, you've got one eye towards, again, he's never been a free agent. That's what's looming this, this summer. You know, I think, I know this isn't where your question originated, but I do think it's a question whether Turner is here or not moving forward, and it's a great thing for the Pacers to have. And I get it. There are drawbacks to Indiana from a, you know, how attractive you are as a market standpoint with free agents. But I do think the appeal of Tyrese Halliburton is extremely attractive. I mean, DeAndre Ayton signed that offer sheet. I mean, it's DeAndre Ayton who grew up in the Bahamas and went to Arizona and played for Phoenix. <laughs> Not a lot of Midwest ties there for DeAndre Ayton. Obviously, the money was great, but again, I think the appeal to playing with Halliburton is big. You know, I, I know a lot of people have made memes out of the OG and Anobi you know, conversation with Halliburton after a game, but I think you hear other players in the league talk about Halliburton, or even when he's been on a JJ Redick podcast, or you know, former guys. I think Kevin Durant had some comments about him. I know LeBron had a few comments about Halliburton when they played in LA, you know, back about a month ago. I mean, I think people notice as a distributor and as a guy that can certainly handle a good amount of scoring as well, he's going to make you better. And that's a nice asset that the Pacers have had that they really haven't had in years. Kevin Bowen joins us. So from Sam Amico um, has a two paragraph couple of things regarding the Pacers here. I'll, I'll read it to you and we'll play off of it. I, I th- saw Alex Golden actually uh, tweeting this out, so I'll give him credit for that. The Pacers are overall pleased with their young roster and how it's developing, but are open to moving shooting guard Buddy Heald or guard Chris Duarte. Sources told Hoops Wire when it comes to Heald, it appears the Pacers would want a first-round pick as part of a return. Meanwhile, opposing teams don't expect the Pacers to try to move Miles Turner before the February the 9th trade deadline. Quote, that may be the first since he's been there. One rival general manager half-jokingly told Hoops Wire. So if you believe in that, it sides Buddy Heald with the most likely to be traded. Now, again, who knows if any of this is accurate, but Buddy Heald and Chris Duarte and and has Miles staying here. For S's and G's and for us to discuss right now. Yeah, that is um that's interesting. I am I guess I'll just toss in on the Turner front before moving to Heald. And again, I know I've probably said this to you every Wednesday for the past few months now, if he's not going to sign an extension by next Thursday, you, you have to move him. You can't think that you're all of a sudden going to win some recruiting pitch in the summer when, again, he's going to have gobs and gobs of suitors and he is an actual free agent. you got to get some return on him. Um, as far as Heald's concerned, John, I, I, I would keep him. Um, no, I would too. Yeah. There's no way. I would absolutely yeah. keep him. Because he's somebody else, as you mentioned, that benefits. He played with him in Sacramento, but there's been more benefit of him here. And I will tell you this, he is a three-point shot maker consistently that is necessary in this level of NBA or any other basketball right now. So I, I'm absolutely with you on that. Yeah, and you know, though, and hell, but your basketball game speaks to it. Shooting doesn't age like other skills age. It doesn't, no. And Buddy Heald has shot it at an incredibly high level throughout his NBA career, and he's been durable. I mean, for all the load management, resting talk you hear on a freaking nightly basis in the NBA, look at Buddy Heald's numbers throughout his career. The reason why, honestly, he's so high up on these three-point make lists is because he plays every night. And he's such a reliable guy, not only to put his uniform on, but again, to stretch the floor. And even when he goes through like little ruts, he's still a threat on the scouting report. And that opens up the floor for guys like Matherin, for guys like Halliburton. You brought up his relationship with Tyrese. I I didn't think that matters. I think that's important as well. Uh, And I, 
I think what you got to be careful of is putting too much on the Halliburton plate. I mean, hell, we've seen it here over the last two weeks. Yes, I mean, the Pacers, very nice comeback last night. But it, this team is so reliant on Tyrese Halliburton. And I think you want to make sure you're not just throwing gobs and gobs of, hey, responsibility, and we need scoring out of you, and we need 10 assists, and this and that. I think having healed alleviates some of that. Uh, for you and, and I think he's under contract for at least one more year um, so it's not like again he'd be a free agent he would walk in the offseason and you know if there comes a point in time where maybe next year you've drafted a shooter that you feel really good about or you know whatever again he has a skill set that teams are always looking for at the deadline and so you could still move him if you felt like whatever he didn't match up with with, with where the you know 2023 and 2024 directions were going so I am not in the team move Buddy Heald camp really at all. It's a Kevin Bowen morning show co-host Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Do you think at all the outspoken Colts fans via social media that have bombarded Jim Ursay's Twitter account with reasons why they don't want to see Jeff Saturday, some are reasonable, some aren't, but certainly – there is a large scale of those fans on social media that continuously hit up Jim Irsay's Twitter account about why he should not bring back Jeff Saturday as the next head coach. Do you think that that is an effective measure to get to Jim Irsay, who clearly is active in social media? Now, I will tell you this. In terms of Jeff Saturday and this final decision, I don't think it's going to matter whatsoever. I don't think that the fans' input and what they're doing on social media will, but do you? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm certainly very curious uh, to, you know, hopefully eventually find out if it will have any sort of impact because um, Jim Irsay is a very emotional person, and I think he has a great understanding of the fan base in this market, and he does listen. You know, when you look at the Chuck Pagano situation, hashtag Chuck stay. I mean, you look at T.Y. Hilton you know, just what, two off seasons ago when I don't think Chris Ballard was a fan necessarily of bringing him back at that price. And Jim Mersey was a fan of that. And again, there was a lot of things, social media drive behind that. Now in this instance, there's social media drive behind it, but it's disagreeing with what Jim Mersey believes. So that's where I'm a little bit torn on kind of how I feel like Ursay would react. Part of me thinks, okay, is he going to be in tune with his fan base? Is he going to realize that the embarrassment of the end of the season and just I mean, the amount of venom is a very high level it is. for the fan base right now. Is he going to acknowledge that, or is he going to be, and I think a little bit of this power-trippy mode that he's been in for the last several months now, almost a year, and say, you know what, screw that. I believe in this guy, and I'm going to prove everybody wrong, and I'm going to hire this guy, and you know, whatever. We're going to have great success with Jeff Saturday as the head coach. Uh, it'd be a, a very different kind of Ursay than what we've seen. But again, you could argue over the last, you know, 12 months, we have seen a different Ursay with, with how he's, you know, reacted to some of these decisions. Um, it is, again, I, I'm not a fan. I don't think Jeff Saturday deserves the head coaching job at all. But it is interesting to me, John, just the amount the fan base is all aboard that train. Of, I mean, I had somebody earlier today like send me a link of a petition. No, oh, yeah, I got it right here in front of me. Yeah, you saw that from Derek White earlier. Derek White sent it to me. Nick Moore, I think they both listened to to each of the shows here. Sign the petition. I mean, like Don't hire Jeff Saturday people, right? as head coach. Yeah, it was like over five hundred people when I when I clicked on the link. Um, you know, I know there were people I was tagged in tweets today of fans tagging like the head of ticket sales over there 622 have signed it as of right now and boy the comments will certainly make you laugh if 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 nothing else um again there are people tagging the head of ticket sales over there you know hey this is the person you need to contact about that um you know obviously just the hashtag of you know saturday leave and all of that i mean it's you know i don't get the vibe that there's any sort of candidate in Houston, Carolina, Denver, or Arizona that's garnering this sort of attention. You know, I I said this earlier today, John, the fact that Jeff Saturday has felt the need to contact people in Dan Orlovsky's case at ESPN or other people in the media business to pitch bullet points on his resume 
to try and make him look better as a candidate, that should tell you everything you need to know about his qualifications of being a head coach. I will tell you this, though, so, yeah. Kev. The dudes do it all the time. You know that, right? Especially guys that would have have um, their personality that entrenched at a place like ESPN. This that happens all the time. I, I listen. It, it, it doesn't surprise me. I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, knowing that you have friends and allies uh, within that career base, you know, that company to be able to get that word out there. Uh, I think this happens more times than any of us can quite imagine. Yeah, and again, happening is one thing. Happening with evidence that makes you actually say pause and be like, oh, that's a really good right, point. Right, right. I get what you're saying there. Is, yeah, yeah. Is a different story. And again, that's where the evidence. I mean, at the end of the day, if Jeff Saturday gets this job, it's because he's a great friend of Jim Irsay. And he played for the Colts during a great era. Um, nothing to do with what we saw in those eight games. Um, and, and I think one thing to keep in mind, if you're looking at it, again, I think it was Nate Atkins from the Star. He did like a poll with each coaching candidate, and I want to say like over 90% was against Saturday. So if you're in that group, I do think the fact that reportedly Saturday is the first of the second interviews could be a good thing in that, you know, if Jim Irsay is going to hear all these second interviews out, and again, I don't think he's been involved really at all in the process so far. Uh, I think Carly Irsay has been more involved of that family. But if Jim's going to listen to all of those candidates, the fact that Jeff Saturday's first, you know, maybe is, you know, he kind of wanes a little bit and, you know, you're going to remember whoever you hear last. And in Saturday's case, again, he falls early in the second interview order there. Um, and I am, you know, kind of interested in this. I mean, a big comment that Chris Ballard made a couple of weeks ago, and I agree wholeheartedly with, with Ballard on this comment. He was asked what he learned from the 2018 hiring process of Josh, Josh McDaniels. And the first thing he said was, I walked in there with an end in sight. Basically, I walked into that process believing Josh McDaniels is my favorite, and as long as whatever, he agrees with it, I'm going to hire him. And he only interviewed five candidates. One of those five was you know, Matt Rule, who I, I don't think was like a serious, serious interview at the time. So when you look at it in that light, He's walked into this process and said, I'm not going to make that same mistake. I'm not going to have the end in sight. I'm going to interview a lot of candidates. That's been clear. Well, in Jim Ursay's eyes, I think he walks in there and he's got the end in sight, and that's Jeff Saturday. So will Ursay listen to his general manager and be open-minded during these second interviews? That, to me, is the biggest question. I, uh, I thought Matt Rule was, I'm Chris Ballard and I'm smarter than everybody else in the room type of deal. Um, yeah, the, yeah, that's the, probably a little bit of that. Um, oh, and by the I way, think, too, and I don't mean to interrupt you, you can you go ahead and end what you were saying right there, but I, I was reading your article, and I, I'm, I'm, com- I have been completely critical of Chris Ballard, probably to a point where people are tired of hearing it because he's coming back for a seventh year. But evaluating Chris Ballard's six seasons as the Colts general manager, and you go wins v. losses right here, and your wins will start there with the positive, finding some Pro Bowl talent, and then your losses, not enough return on investments, roster-building mindset, quarterback and free agency approach. All your losses essentially is the reason why any team's any good. (laughs) For an extended period of time, I thought – that is the absolute worst for the Colts yeah. general manager right there. Okay, great. You got all this Pro Bowl talent. That has zero meaning. What you list under the losses is evidence of how you have success organizationally and team-wise that has failed miserably. And it goes back to John. And again, I mean, I, I had the thought when Ballard had his press conference a few weeks ago that honestly the first minute or two, I admittedly, just kind of tuned out for a second thinking, wow, it's kind of wild. He's still here. Like GMs that have his resume do not get a seventh year at this, especially ones that, again, the trajectory is going down four, 12 and one in year six. You don't have the quarterback. You don't even have like a Malik Willis on your roster. Like you don't even have the third or fourth round, you know, sort of, Hey, we maybe think hope he can be, you know, whoever Dak Prescott or Kirk cousins, whatever your third or fourth round quarterback is. Um, and to that point, okay, if you look at the Pro Bowl talent he has uh, gotten, and actually Eddie and I were talking about this a little bit earlier earlier in the week, you know, Johnson Taylor, 
Quentin Nelson, uh, Shaquille Leonard, DeForest Buckner. You know, those four guys at different times in their respective you know, tenures here in Indy, they have been either the best player at their position or one of the best at their position. And yet, this is where you're at. Uh, no division titles, one playoff win. And it comes back to Ballard's philosophy more than anything. If he were to acquire four players like those, you know, running back, guard, linebacker, defensive tackle, let's say those four guys played wide out, left tackle, D-end, and corner. Like, don't even say quarterback. Well, now all of a sudden you might have the makings of like a little bit of a San Francisco 49ers situation or you know, just something that is a little bit – obviously, if you had quarterback, it would be a whole different story. But it comes back to, again, his approach philosophically of those four positions, even though those guys have been Pro Bowl, All-Pro talents for several seasons – it's gotten you nowhere in terms of January. And for me, if I were Ballard, that would tell me everything I need to know, that the blueprint that I've been trying to use isn't working. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, that um, that's pretty funny. You know, I, I I have this theory, and I don't know if it's true. I don't know if anybody would buy into it, but I, I think one of the the reasons why. And, and granted, Jim Irsay does believe in Chris Ballard. I am not going to deny that whatsoever. There is belief and there is confidence there. Even if we were to believe it's misguided at this point, it is certainly there with the Colts owner. But I think because you have the two highest priority, check that, three highest priority decisions to be made. You have the two highest right now, and then to add a third with general manager would be way too much for Jim Mercy to deal with right now. I think that's one of the big reasons why, beyond the fact that Jim has confidence in Chris still, even after six years and six years of the results here, I think this is one of the reasons where they are with those big decisions right now, why Chris is still here. Yeah, and I would just throw one more on top of it, and I guess in a way you kind of mentioned it, but I just throw ego on top of it. You know, I, I think obviously there's a financial component to it, but I would argue ego more than anything of, I just extended Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, you know, 18 months ago. And now I'm going to admit that I was wrong on both of them. I mean, we're all human beings. We all have egos. I mean, that's, that's a lot to admit and start over with that duo, especially a guy that, you know, you called the greatest GM hire in the 21st century. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a big, big part of it because, you know, when you look back at where – this organization was with Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano, um, you know, you held on to Chuck. And I think part of that was a little bit ego as well and saying, you know, I don't want to cut ties with both of them and, you know, admit that I was wrong on both. I think it's even more at play right now. And I guess that's what, that's where a little bit of pause, you know, enters my mind and thinking, will he be open-minded throughout this second, you know, interview process? Again, I think, I don't want to sound like I'm carrying Ballard's water, but you know, I think Ballard, that was a very honest thing that he said in saying, you know, I've made a mistake in 2018 with the end in sight. I'm not going to make that mistake again. That's a big part of why I think he's been so, you know, exhaustive in this process with all these candidates. Will Ursay be open-minded? Because we know who Ursay wants. We don't know necessarily who Ballard wants. Um, will Jim Ursay give all of these candidates a legit chance, or will he play favorites? Who do you think Ballard wants, if you were to want to guess? And and if we're trying to track that down and just make an educated guess here, which is exactly what we're trying to do, is there anybody out there that has similar qualities and credentials to the the lone hire at head coach that he made that went up in smoke in the 11th hour in Josh McDaniels? Anybody with that type of quality out there that you think maybe – would be the guy, considering we don't have a lot of intel right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I do think the quality that Jeff already brings of, you know, can, again, kind of a little bit more of that demonstrative accountability would be attractive. Um, you know, when you look at some of these candidates, there are two that he has, you know, a decent amount of connections with outside of Eric Bieniemy, and that would be Raheem Morris and Rich Passaccia, Rod Marinelli, a guy that, 
you know, Chris really holds in high regard as coach with both of them. Um, so I think both of them would kind of fall into that group, at least of, again, people he has immense amount of respect for, knowing them. Um, so I, I, I'd go there. Dan Quinn would be another that you'd point to. Ed Dodds, Chris's right-hand man, probably a little bit more of the connection on that front. Uh, but he's a guy that, you know, I remember when Ballard was hired in 2017, you know, one of the first things he was just kind of gushing about was what Dan Quinn was doing in, in Atlanta at the time and building that Falcon Super Bowl defense. Uh, so those are some names that have popped into my mind. But, you know, the other thought that I have is, and, and you know, based off the 11, 12, whatever the number is right now, candidates, it hasn't balanced out this way. But does Ballard look at the offensive background of these coaches that are left in the playoffs? All four this year, all four last year of the finalists, you know, I think of the final eight teams in each of the last two years, uh, only Sean McDermott and Mike Vrabel were defensive-minded coaches. Does that play into this at all? Again, I don't think it will for Ballard, but has there been just kind of that look-in-the-mirror moment for him of, all right, what I've believed in, I can't adhere to all those principles, and I've got to adapt a little bit. We have to draft a young quarterback. We need to pair him with a young offensive coach. Is that a Brian Callahan, given his quarterback background? Those are some thoughts that, that I've had as well. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query tomorrow morning. It is Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. right here on The Fan. And Kev's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. All right, my brother. You guys go back at it coming up tomorrow. Am I on your show again later on this week? Did I hear that accurately? I, I thought we were supposed to have you on today. I, I, I got the rundown, uh, and I thought you were well, going to give see, us a little uh, Here's where I blanked I up. weather update. Here's where I blanked up is I got to whining, the whining and the crying, because I had I thought I followed these guys, and I didn't. Eddie Garrison started it, and I followed him, and then a couple others started, and then there's Dykton. Dykton knows Dan, and then as soon as he got my follow, that's exactly what I get, isn't it? That's what happened. I had no idea I wasn't following him either. So the None. root of this stems from me. Yes, Eddie Garrison started it all. John, given your social media prowess, I would think that you would have been a little bit more on top of that. No, come on, man. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm on top of type and send. All this other stuff, not so much. Well, no, just well not. type send and react to, you know, Miles <laughs> Turner and all your other, yeah. uh, you know, jackwads that are tweeting at you. Jackwads. I like it. I like it. So, yep, yeah, I'm I'm available. I'm, okay. I'm well, yeah, available. Yeah, we'll have to uh, – so. We'll have to uh, give you a ring here tomorrow or Friday. All right, brother. Take it easy. See you, John. It's uh, Kevin Bowen. Morning show, Kevin Inquiry, 7 until 10 a.m.